You may be seated. Do this in remembrance of me. If those words sound familiar, it's because we say them at every Eucharist. But tonight we learn them afresh on Maundy Thursday, the day we celebrate the institution of the Lord's Supper. So since you hear it every week, what does Jesus mean when he asks us to remember him in this way? Perhaps we could start our guess with how we commonly envision memory. For you, is it like a giant filing cabinet of the brain, full of individual manila folders where information is stored? Maybe if you're of a younger generation, a computer hard drive with huge storage capacity, lightning speed? Perhaps nowadays a kind of cloud with infinite space and omniscient accessibility. All of these metaphors fall short to describe what modern science reveals about memory. It's more complex, more subtle than we ever imagined. And a breakthrough in understanding memory has occurred in the field of epigenetics in the last decade. Come again, epigenetics? Yep, yep. Let me tell you everything I know about epigenetics. <laughs> epigenetics is the study of how behavior and environment affect the way our genes work. And by genes, I don't mean Levi's or Wrangler's. I mean the genetic makeup we inherit from our parents. Epi is the Greek pronoun meaning prefix meaning above or the surface of a thing. So while genetic traits are passed on inside our DNA, epigenetic traits are passed on at the surface level in our DNA tagging. Let's use shopping for genes as an example of what I mean, and this time I do mean Levi's or Wrangler's. Let's say you go into the store to buy a pair of jeans and you look at the tag that tells you the price of the jeans. Let's imagine that price is static based on what it cost. It's not changing whether the numbers on the tag shock you or not. When you take them up to the register, the price of the jeans will remain the same. But whether the cost of those jeans seems high or low to you, that's relative based on your environment and your history. It changes based on how much money you have to buy jeans or how much money your family spent on clothes while you were growing up or your own sense of financial stewardship that developed from childhood to adulthood. Like that static price of those blue jeans, genetics describes the static way our biological genes are passed on from one generation to the next. Our biological genes won't change, but our interpretation of the tags attached to those genes, those can change if our environment changes. That's what's studied in epigenetics, I think. The breakthrough, occur, a breakthrough occurred in this study that came out of Georgia back in 2013 
in the study of memory. A neurobiologist and a psychiatrist at Emory University became interested in epigenetic research after working with people who were poor. And they were living in a disenfranchised part of the city. The researchers saw cycles of drug addiction, of psychiatric illness, recurring over and over in generations of parents and children and hoped to find a way to stop it. So they carried out a study in mice who share 98% of our genes in common with human beings. And I don't mean Levi's or Wranglers. <laughs> Their study revealed that a stressful experience can be passed down several generations of mice through genetic tagging. So as part of the study, the researchers trained mice to fear the smell of cherry blossom. They did this by associating a small electric shock whenever the smell of the blossom was present. The mice developed a fear of the smell, and then they mated. The very first time the offspring of the mice smelled the cherry blossom, they showed the same fearful response of the odor that their parents had had, though the offspring had never received an electric shock. This biological transmission of fear lasted for generations. One geneticist said in response to the study that it addresses the controversial subject of transmission of memory of ancestral experience down the generations. And I think this is the kind of memory Jesus is talking about when he asks us to remember him in today's reading. Why? Well, I never met Jesus in the flesh, did you? I don't have any individual memories of him to draw on from that storage bank in my mind. I have stories from my spiritual mothers and fathers, stories from the church. There's a kind of memory that comes not from genes, but from our environment. We know this. But the first people in today's readings, the first people Jesus tells to remember him, they have both environment and genes working for them. See, at the very first Lord's Supper, there are only Jews sitting around the table. That's it. Jewish men in the upper room. Jesus was speaking to a people whose genetic and epigenetic memories would have been stimulated by that meal, just like that cherry blossom stimulated the progeny of the mice. Jesus and his disciples were all Jews, sitting down for a traditional Seder meal, a meal they had celebrated for generations to remember their salvation from slavery and the angel of death passing over the firstborn why they call it Passover, like our text says today. And I think Jesus had a reason, right, for instituting what we call the Lord's Supper as Christians on the same night that his people celebrated the Passover Seder meal. As these Jewish men sat and listened to the words of Jesus comparing his body to the Seder bread and his blood to the Seder wine, Epigenetics hints to us that they may have felt in their very bones the memories of the Passover. Jesus wanted all the physical sights and smells and tastes of that symbolic Passover meal to help his disciples connect the events of that first Holy Week 
that were about to transpire because they were going to point not only to the Jewish story but to a larger human story. And so for any of us who are non-Jews in the space, we have to know something of that Seder meal to make the connections to today's Maundy Thursday service, to the meaning of Holy Week. So let's recap some of the simple elements. The Seder bread is unleavened because the Israelites left in a hurry in the middle of the night with no time to wait for the dough to rise. And the wine is there to remind them of the sweetness of their salvation from bondage and the promise of new life in a new land. Everything from that lamb that was slain was to be consumed, except for the blood. The blood was to be put on the doorpost as a sign that death was not to come for the firstborn of that household. So when Jesus said, eat this bread, this is my body, he may have meant that his death was imminent, that he too would be leaving in a hurry that very night. And when he said, drink this cup, this is my blood, he may have wanted them to link Israel's redemption from bondage with the salvation of the firstborn son, that he would not die. See, memory is so complex. It's biological, it's psychological, it's sociological. It's a spiritual experience to remember. And as human beings, we are hardwired to recall memory through our bodies. That's why we have liturgies and spiritual practice. The Hebrew and Greek words for remember also mean act, do something. That's how you remember. Our bodies have always been meant to be an active part of remembrance because our bodies have within them the power not only to recollect past experiences, but to change the future for the better. Here's what I mean. Not too long ago in 2019, just six years after that first cherry blossom study was published, a second study was done. The steps of the first study with the mice were repeated. The mice were trained to fear the scent of cherry blossom. They were made to pass down those epigenetic memories to the next generation. But then the researchers asked a new question. Could the memory of trauma that was made be unmade? So they took the same mice who were born fearful of the cherry blossom and exposed those mice over and over again to cherry blossoms without electric shock until the stress reaction finally disappeared. Once there were no signs of stress associated with the scent, those mice mated, and the traumatic effects of the offspring had been undone. The stress traits were not passed on to the next generation. Their experience had changed them biologically. One generation's healing 
removed the genetic tags from all the generations thereafter. I don't know if the researchers in those studies knew this, but there is a spiritual meaning for cherry blossoms. It's from Eastern spirituality, particularly Japanese spirituality. Cherry blossom symbolizes birth and death, violence and beauty. In the West, it's the first sign of spring, the cherry blossoms popping up on the street corners. It's the time when new life bursts forth from what was dormant and dead. Jesus' invitation in today's text to remember his death may sound kind of strange at first. Why create the memory of wounded flesh and shed blood if none of us were ever there to see such a violent death occur in the first place? Why relive the trauma and pass on that experience from generation to generation? Why do this in remembrance of him? I think the answer might have something to do with epigenetics. Jesus knows we have within our own bodies the capacity to pass on wounds, but also to heal from them and to heal those who come after us. So I wonder if he invites us into the wounds of his particular story, the Jewish story, imprinted on his particular Jewish body to remind us that our particular wounds, our particular traumas, can be healed. And to remember that because his body was not only a Jewish body, but also made up of whatever the DNA of God is made of, that that healing isn't just for Jews, but for all God's children. To the rich symbolism within Jewish practice, Jesus hopes we can connect our own human stories, not leaving them at the stories of trauma and stress, but the stories of healing. That mouse in the second study, born into a body full of generations of fear and death, was able to change the genetic tags for all the mice that came after him. And by the end of this holy week, Jesus shows us that the changes in his body will heal all who are born through him for generations to come. So when Jesus asks us to do all this in remembrance of him, I think it's not unlike the symbolism of the cherry blossom. Death and birth, violence and beauty, coming from the same thing. I think it's his way of promising us that what we once thought was only a sign of our own death may one day actually be to us a sign of new life.